The following is my interview with Sam Kuypers, a DPhil student at Oxford University. We discuss problems with quantum field theory and how qubit field theory seems to solve some of these problems. We also discuss how constructor theory might aid the development of qubit field theory. I hope you enjoy. All right, I'm here with Sam Kuypers. Sam, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No problem. So you've been working on an alternative to quantum field theory, and it seems that constructor theory might help you with your research. But before we get into any of that, what is quantum field theory in broad strokes? Yeah, so I thought I would explain quantum field theory through classical field theory. And in classical field theory, uh, a, a classical field is a physical system that has observables at each point in space. Um, so an example of this is a, uh, a temperature field. So if you, if you consider the temperature in a room, then effectively you have a temperature field because there's a temperature that you can associate with every point in that room. Um, and what makes it a classical field is that the temperature everywhere in the room has a sharp value. Uh, so more generally, a, a classical field would be anything with observables at the point at points in space. Um, with sharp values. And uh, quantum field theory, on the other hand, has, uh, just like classical field theory, has uh, observables at each point in space, but these observables are not necessarily sharp. So um, the state of the observables is uncertain. There, it could be that it's in a superposition of multiple values at the same time. And um, I think like we want to talk about the properties of this field more and I can do that now. I can, I can explain some of the algebraic properties of such a field. Um, because for a field to have unsharp values, it needs to have observables at a particular point in space, uh, a set of observables at a point in space that don't commute with one another, which means that if you, which, which in practice means that if you were to observe one of the fields, uh, observables at that point in space. And then another one, um, the outcome of the experiment would be different if you measured it the other way around. If you first measured A and B, it would be a different result from first measuring B and then A. Uh, and algebraically, it means that the, the multiplication of these variables, of these observables, is not the same, that the, uh, the order of multiplication of the variables matters. Um, and so in very broad strokes, like, so to, to summarize, like the classical, uh, a quantum field is a, a physical system that has observables at each point in space. And these observables, uh, they have some non-commutative properties such that they can be unsharp, unlike classical fields, which are necessarily sharp. So what are the problems that arise in this conventional way of expressing quantum field theory? And what is it about the conventional formulation of quantum field theory that causes these problems in the first place? Yeah, so I think there are several problems. And uh, maybe the most prominent one is uh, that the, these fields, these quantum fields have so-called divergencies. So there are observables of the field which, um, whose expectation value goes up to infinity, basically. And uh, that's unphysical, it's a non-physical result. And the way people deal with that, um, or I should say, the, I think it's now commonly accepted that the, the reason for these divergencies is that the interactions of a quantum field are very small scales 
are very violent. And um, the, the solution, therefore, is to basically do quantum field theory while you neglect the interactions at very small distances. And therefore, you get kind of an effective field theory approach. So you have a field theory where you, say, cut out the, uh, the fine structure or the structure and very small scales. And you do so by having effective field theory, which is basically saying you can pretend that this structure isn't there um, and then still get results through a thing called renormalization. And uh, I think that's now the common way in which people, like th this is the way in which people deal with these divergencies. But it's also a problem in the sense that uh, it means that your theory isn't universally valid. So at very small scales, people agree that quantum field theory can't be valid and that the theory tells us this because it needs renormalization. Um, but so there needs to be another theory, a, a universal theory that holds that these, uh, so that, that will explain the interactions at very small length scales. And um, so that's one problem. And I think that's quite a big problem. Um, the other problem is that the fields can carry too much information in them. So we know from general relativity that there is a, a limit on the amount of information that can be stored in a finite region of space-time. And uh, basically the limit is uh, the amount of information you can store into a black hole, such that if you store too much information in a finite region of space, then you automatically turn that region into a black hole. And um, Quantum field theory, on the other hand, seems to suggest that there is uh, no bound on the amount of information you can store in a uh, finite region of space. And the reason for that is, um, again, to do with this commutativity between observables. Um, namely, the field observables of a quantum field at different points in space necessarily commute with one another. And observables that commute can be independently prepared and measured, meaning that you can store information in them separately. Now, since the field observables at different points in space commute with one another, uh, they, they can independently prepare and measure them and thus store information in them. And um, there are infinitely many of these commuting observables in a finite region of space. So it seems to suggest that you can store an arbitrary amount of information in such a region. And um, that contradicts this, this notion from general relativity, the Bekenstein bound, that you cannot do that. You can only store a finite amount of information in the field. Um, so that is another problem, which I think uh, exists within the, what I would call orthodox quantum field theory. So if I'm understanding correctly, the two or at least two of the problems with orthodox quantum field theory. One is that at fine enough scales, it leads to unphysical quantities such as infinite expectation values. And then another is really a conflict between theories, namely the expectations of how you can store information in orthodox quantum field theory contradicts what general relativity says is possible with respect to information. Is that right? Yes. And um, I think these problems are related. Um, also, I should say uh, pe people nowadays would disagree with you that the infinities are a problem uh, because they have these renormalization re schemes. Uh, the trade-off is that they can deal with the infinities, but they, they have to give up um, being able to provide a 
description of the field at very small length scales. So they basically have to cut those out. Uh, but it's it's a trade-off that people are willing to make. So I think there might be disagreement about uh, whether or not the infinities themselves are still the issue. Uh, but it definitely cause other problems, even if you try to solve them. And, um, and and as for the relation between the divergences and the the infinite amount of information in the fields, um, the so this idea that the field observables at different points in space commute with one another is actually a standard assumption in quantum theory in general. Uh, it, it's namely the assumption that uh, it, well, it's called the canonical commutation relation, and what it says is that different systems, so different physical systems, have to have observables that commute with one another such that you can uh, independently treat and measure them and interact with them. And in the field theory case, uh, what happens is that this canonical commutation relation, this, this idea that the fields uh, observables at different points in space commute with one another, actually introduces a divergence. So if you consider the field observables at two different points in space and then slowly bring them together, what you'll find is that it's zero, 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 as long as the fields are at distinct points, but um, the field observables at the same point in space uh, blow up to infinity. So this for, for the technical term would be there is a direct delta function in the commutation relation, and that causes um, the fields to blow up. Um, and, and actually, I think there's also a, even a kind of connection with the uh, the problems that existed in classical field theory and quantum field theory, uh, which is that there's this basically classical fields used to be problematic because they had these infinite degrees of freedom, um, which is maybe a discussion we can get into later. But uh, in, in a way, it's it's the fact that these fields have too many information degrees of freedom. So this this degrees of freedom, there's infinitely many degrees of freedom which we can store information in these fields, and I think there's a parallel between the problems that um, exist in classical physics and the problems that exist in quantum physics now. In many ways, uh, field theory has always been problematic, but deeply fundamental. So it's, it's a nice area of physics. So if this canonical commutation relation, as you called it, causes these problems to emerge in orthodox quantum field theory, why was it accepted in the first place? Um, I think it has to do with the fact that people wanted quantum theory to be to be local. So uh, different physical systems uh, have their own algebra, but they always have imposed on them that they that no matter their spe uh, specific algebra, the algebra of the, the larger system of the composite system is such that the algebra of the subsystems commutes with one another. So if you have an observable of one of the subsystems, that observable always commutes with this, uh, an observable from the other system. And that basically ensures in quantum theory that if you do anything to a subsystem, you, you can independently prepare and measure that subsystem without affecting the other, the other systems that might uh, exist as well. And these kind of considerations um, about locality, uh, local realism even, and non-signaling were the reason why uh, the canonical commutation relations were required in the first place. Um, so, so meddling with those seems to be very tricky or, or I think people would be scared of, of breaking the no signaling rules, for example, um, or, or of violating locality or something like that if you were to change the canonical commutation relation. 
So have any solutions been proposed to resolve some of these problems in conventional or orthodox quantum field theory? Yes, so Dave Deutsch in 2004, I think, published a paper or put a paper on the archive, I should say, about uh, an alternative quantum theory, quantum field theory, called qubit field theory. And the assumption about of qubit field theory is that there are physical, uh, physical systems at each point in space, or rather at each event in space-time, which uh, do not necessarily obey the canonical commutation relation. So if you, if you evaluate the field at two very nearby points in space, the observables of those, uh, or, yeah, the observables of those points in space will not necessarily commute with one another, which, which violates the canonical commutation relation. And it's, I think, it, it's a very nicely symmetric approach to uh, quantum field theory. For one thing, because these commutation relations that are imposed on the field observables in, uh, in the usual quantum field theory are asymmetric with respect to time. So field observables at uh, nearby points in time are never assumed to commute with one another. And uh, they are assumed to commute when they're at different points in space. And this is one of the things that qubit field theory uh, gives up and basically it symmetrizes how the, the way we treat space and time in quantum field theory. So different points, the so observables at different points in time don't necessarily commute. And similarly in qubit field theory, different points uh, in space or observables at different points in space also don't necessarily commute. And um, I should also add the, the one of the nice things about uh, qubit fields is that they are everywhere finite. So they're the, uh, the state space, if you want, is, is finite dimensional and uh, there's no divergency. So there's nothing in the theory blows up to infinity. And uh, I, think, I think that is one of the nicest things about the theory. Um, I mean, it's very, I think, I think there's many things to enjoy about qubit field theory, but it's nice that they are very well behaved compared to orthodox fields. And so qubit field theory drops the canonical commutation relation and it solves the existence of infinities that plagued orthodox quantum field theory. Now, you had said that one of the reasons the canonical commutation relation was accepted in the first place in orthodox quantum field theory was so that the theory was local. Is qubit field theory local? Yes. Uh, it's very interesting. So the qubit fields have local equations of motion, meaning that the equations of motion of a field only depend on uh, the field at a particular point and uh, finitely many of its spatial derivatives. So this 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 nice um, it's almost like a loophole that allows the theory to still be local without it adhering to all these uh, canonical commutation relations that that are usually necessary within quantum theory to ensure that a a field behaves locally. Um, so yeah, quantum field theory is able to preserve one of these important properties that we I think we should want physical systems to obey to. So one of these principles that we uh, should require of our theories. Uh, locality is a thing that qubit field theory also obeys. Now, how would constructor theory help to advance a theory like qubit field theory? Yes, yeah, so one of the reasons why qubit field theory was proposed is to find out about alternative quantum theories that maybe have a limited information carrying capacity. Um, 
meaning that the amount of information you could store in such a field in a finite region would be limited. But at the moment, there is no theory of measurement for a qubit field. Uh, and the reason why there isn't is because this, this commutation, the canonical commutation relation in quantum theory is deeply connected to uh, information and determining what the information Carry, uh, yeah, what the information carrying degrees of freedom of your field are. Uh, and by altering that in, in qubit field theory, you basically have to derive a, a fully new uh, theory of measurement in order to determine what the information variables of a field really are. Um, and I think the way in which constructive theory helps with that problem is that constructive theory provides a theory independent uh, way of thinking about measurements. So constructive theory is, is like a meta theory of physics, which tells us um, given a particular theory, what we should, what the theory should uh, adhere to for it to have uh, things like information and uh, measurable quantities, etc. And uh, I think that really streamlines the, the problem solving for this uh, particular issue. Because we now don't, instead of having to think from the grounds up what a measurement could mean for a new theory of physics like qubit field theory, uh, you can instead immediately say, well, there's this general framework that constructive theory provides. Um, and we just have to fit our theory within that general framework, which is still an open problem, but it's much simpler than having to think about the problem of what a measurement really is. Uh, before you even get to uh, solving it. Uh, so in, in a way, we can skip a step. So what is it about constructive theory, or in this case, the constructive theory of information in particular, that makes it easier to determine what will constitute a measurement in qubit field theory? Yes, so uh, the constructive theory of information, as I understand it, has uh, provides us with a definition of information, which is uh, it's, it's an attribute of the system that can be used to perform classical computations with, and which can be copied given a suitable uh, substrate. And um, those will be the information variables. So those will be that will be uh, information in that theory. And Using that definition, we uh, can kind of extract, extract from qubit field theory what uh, it is within that theory that is information. So it's again, it's like using this, this meta theory of physics to uh, get to the answer quicker, because we, we already have an understanding of what measurement is in general. We, we, that is no longer a problem that we have to think about. Um, so we can now solve this problem quicker because we can skip that step of having to think about what measurements really are. Because uh, again, we, we already know that. <laughs> and I wonder if you could give us a brief example of what making a measurement looks like in orthodox quantum field theory now. Um, I think I can kind of like give a sketch of what that means. So uh, if you, uh, maybe a broader example would be, if you have two physical systems, two quantum systems, then uh, because they commute with one another, you can 
measure the observables of one of the systems without affecting the observables of the other system. And, uh, but you can't measure the observables of the same system without affecting those. So if you, if you have a single qubit, for example, then a qubit has three observables, uh, the, the qubit descriptors, and you can measure one of them. But if you subsequently measure another one, then your previous uh, measurement result will have affected the second measurement and, and vice versa. So this, this is what the non-commutativity non uh, sort of non means. It means that if you measure A and then B, it's not the same as measuring B and then A. And um, this, uh, basically you treat the field observables of a quantum field like separate physical systems. They each have two observables each and measuring those and, and interacting with those can be done independently from the other field observables. Um, to, I mean, in practice, it will always be to a rough approximation, but the theory gives no bounds to how well you can uh, independently interact with one, of, one part of that field. And it's because you're, you're dropping the assumption in qubit field theory that uh, interacting with the observables of two points of uh, at two different points in space is like affects the measurements of those observables. So if you, it seems like if you were to observe first the system A or first the field at point A and then the field at point B, um, they would affect one another uh, because the field observables don't commute with one another. And in a sense, it's like they are kind of part of the same physical system. Um, which is not the case in uh, orthodox quantum theory. And uh, this is very strange. It's, it's unusual within the orthodox approach. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think there is currently a way or there, there's no current solution to that problem. We don't yet know um, what that means for the information in the, in the qubit field. And um, yeah, so that's a very brief overview of how this, this notion of, of measurement in uh, quantum field theory is, is not carried over to this to the notion of a measurement in a qubit field, which um, again, is because the commutation relation, the canonical commutation relation is, is very important for defining information in uh, orthodox, uh, orthodox field theory and you simply drop it. So you have this, this new problem to solve. And, and again, I think that that's where um, constructive theory will come in and be very useful. It almost sounds like qubit field theory, if it's shown to be correct or have fewer errors than orthodox quantum field theory, then the world is even more quantum than we had previously suspected. Yes, uh, but I, I put it like that at some point as well. Um, at least that's that's how I think about it. Like the the property that things commute is is a very classical property. We're very used to being able to interact with things um, that commute, the, the measurements of which commute, and uh, in fact, non-commutativity is a purely quantum mechanical phenomena. Um, it's, it's maybe not purely quantum mechanical phenomena, but it's it's a very characteristic property of quantum systems. And yet we've treated the, uh, the, the combining of quantum systems 
rather classically in a way, because we've, we've introduced on assumption uh, the idea that the, the observables of separate quantum systems must commute with one another. And yeah, so I agree with you that if you, if you drop that assumption, then things will become even more quantum mechanical. You, you have even more of, this, of these uh, observables that don't commute with one another, and it's adding another layer of strangeness to your description of reality. So what open problems in other areas of quantum physics or quantum mechanics do you think researchers could help to solve by also dropping the canonical commutation relation as David Deutsch has done in qubit field theory? Uh, I think if qubit field theory turns out to be true, then it will just be the theory of, uh, of quantum fields. But of course, there's, there's many tests that uh, it would have to go through. So uh, for example, it, before it can really stand up as a theory, I think it should solve this problem of information, uh, which was uh, one of the reasons for its invention, uh, which again, constructive theory will be very vital to. And, um, but uh, there's other problems like how the field should interact with other fields and uh, yeah, just there are other problems that the qubit field theory should solve. But if it manages to solve those, then I think it will be a reformulation of field theory as we currently know it. Then, um, for example, if quantum field theory is true, that means that there are no uh, fields that adhere to the canonical commutation relation because uh, commutativity can spread to other theories, to, sorry, to other fields uh, when it interacts with those fields meaning that there's really no such thing as a, not, as, a, uh, as a commuting field or as a field that adheres to the canonical commutation relation. Um, and uh, that means that you have to reformulate all of quantum field theory in terms of qubit field theory, which will then mean that you have to, for example, solve um, the standard model or give a description of the standard model, not with uh, orthodox quantum fields with these, with these uh, qubit fields. And that would be a very exciting project. Like if, if qubit field theory takes off, then that would definitely be one of the things it uh, would be applied to. And um, yes, I think, I think in general, there should just be a, um, a research project about non-commutativity. Uh, another area in which it shows up, for example, is uh, fields in a, a black hole, I think. So the, the, quantum fields inside a black hole cannot adhere to the canonical commutation relations either. And um, it, it would just be exciting stuff. Maybe there'll be, you know, secrets to gravity will be, uh, I think there will be a link to general relativity possibly. And uh, that that is also very exciting. Like what, what would qubit fields tell us about uh, the relationship between quantum mechanics and uh, general relativity, open problem, um, but, but a very exciting one. Yes, those all sound like very exciting areas of research. It's interesting to me that um, this non-commutativity is not really emphasized, at least sort of in the popular science areas that lay people consume. You don't hear much about this as a potential pathway to let's say understanding the relationship between general relativity and quantum mechanics. You hear much more about 
things like string theory and loop quantum gravity and so forth? Yes. Uh, well, I, one reason would be it's a very tentative solution, and uh, field theory is is in its infancy at the moment. Um, and so it's, it's it's somewhat unsurprising that people haven't noticed this more. But I think at the same time, uh, more and more people are noticing problems with uh, quantum field theory, which have a similar flavor. So for example, Sean Carroll wrote a paper a while back um, about why the uh, state space of any physical system should be finite, uh, including for quantum fields, which is a very related problem. Uh, but uh, So I don't think he concluded anything about how quantum field theory should change. But in this paper, he noted that uh, yeah, there, there is definitely a problem with the the size of a yeah the, the state space state space of a quantum field at the moment, uh, which he wanted to solve. And again, that's that's related to this uh, issue of how much information you can store in the field, uh, which was this which was something he also noted. I think he he phrased it in terms of entropy. Um, but yeah, so uh, that is another researcher like seeing the same issue. And I think if, if qubit field theory were to make progress, it would, it would appeal to many people's intuitions about how space-time and how, how quantum fields should work. Well, this has all been very exciting, Sam. So thank you very much for your time. Cool. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me again. It's, uh, it's been great. Yep. Take care. Cool. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.